Hello and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and complain about its adaptation, Game of Thrones. This is where being a book snob is a good thing. And tonight, welcome to the Season 8 Carol Awards! Welcome to our theater, where you are in for a real treat tonight. My name is Kylie, and here with me are our two other MCs, Julia. Why, hello, everybody. And Caroline. Hi, everybody. The three of us write for the Fundamentals.com and Moonlight as award show presenters, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a career thing that people do oh totally and and i'm sure the pay is really lucrative (laughs) anyway if you go to thefandamentals.com you'll notice that among our very geeky takes whether it be news reviews video game uh metas anything like that we have some strong feelings about game of thrones and we had them before it was cool they did we definitely had them before it was cool yeah, and and we were going to say, like, even if it's cool to hate on Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is still the most nominated Emmy show, like, ever. Mm-hmm. This year they got 32 noms. I didn't even know they had 32 awards in the Emmys. <laughs> well, we have more awards than that in the carols. We have but 40. That's the carols. We go a step beyond. This or- show is just so special to us mm-hmm. that its specialness really can't be captured by the emmys can it oh no definitely not definitely not no so starting in season five we decided that we needed to award this pinnacle of great writing with a tailored award show to the show in particular and that is the carol awards now now julia anyone who might be tuning in for the first time do you mind explaining who is this carol of which we speak. Well, Carol is a struggling supermom who just wants to run the kingdom competently and do the best for her kids, but she keeps being thwarted by all these misogynists and idiots that surround her. And one day she just gets so fed up with it all that she decides to blow up the sept and come out of her chrysalis as Cheryl, the evil queen. But we remember Carol. We, we love Carol. Carol. Yes. And, Aren't these, these are and how she always wine. drank a glass and a half of wine every day for the antioxidants. <laughs> and so the Carol Awards are to memorialize her forever. And yeah, I mean, it's Cersei, guys. But for the, the first <laughs> season of the Carol Awards, season five, basically, we just thought that that was really funny. We called mm-hmm. her Carol because that's the season. Go back and rewatch it. She's just like sad all the time and everyone's mean to her. Mm-hmm. And her son Calling is her being evil. <laughs> yeah. She, she's like, we need to deal with the Iron Bank. And the ominous music starts playing. So. <laughs> we just thought it was really funny. And then, you know, she became Cheryl and Carol was no more in season six. And, and thus the Carol. Carol Awards became in memoriam. Mm. But 
We have many polished golden carols to be giving out tonight, and only the most illustrious of all the competitors will come away victors. <laughs> so to help us along, we have um <clears throat> sorry. So to help us along, we have a number of presenters who will be introducing our categories. And first on the deck is a Carol Award long-standing tradition with the most meta line. Thank you, thank you. Good evening, esteemed audience. I am Jana, and tonight I have the utmost pleasure of participating in one of the Carol Awards' long-standing traditions, honoring the brief glimpses of self-awareness the narrative occasionally provides us with, whether it be by accident or the writer's genius. And thus, this year's nominees for most meta-line are... Cocks are important, I'm afraid. Barris discussing the ideal ruler. Why do you think I came all this way? Bran, on being asked to become king. And yet, I can't help but feel we're at odds with one another. Danny to Sansa. Maybe I will have that drink. Davos, after listening to Tormund's story about giant's milk. You seem determined to despise her. Tyrion to Sansa about Danny. The Night's Watch still exists. John, after being told he was being exiled there. Everywhere she goes, evil men die and we cheer her for it. Tyrion to John about reactions to Danny. Bran shouting, We don't have time for this. When Sansa and Danny meet. And the winner is. The Night's Watch still exists. John, after being told he was being exiled there. Boo! I am shocked. Boo! Don't boo the first Carol Award winner. That's not good practice. <laughs> but this was clearly the wrong answer. Cocks this are important, I'm afraid. Democracy How is that sucks. Not? Yes. Clearly, the right, right answer was this runner up. Cocks are important, I'm afraid. Varus while discussing the ideal ruler. Well, John <laughs> asking if the Night's Watch still exists got 26.9% of the vote, while Cox are important got 24.2%. So it, they weren't far off. I'll be honest, I didn't vote for either one. Which one did you vote for? I voted for um, Everywhere She Goes, Evil Men Die and We Cheer for It, what Tyrion <laughs> was saying, because to me the meta-ness is like, it's everything we were getting at about mm-hmm. how the show's only discernible like differences between their their uh, good guys and their their bad guys are you know it's the marketing it's the music <laughs> like that's why yeah. i liked it so much occasionally so occasionally the costumes yeah so like to mm-hmm. me that was a big like call out of their own writing <laughs> it's like well Julia, of course which, did you vote for uh cox are important of course because that was the right answer that's <laughs> <laughs> the right on. answer um i voted for the one that got the least least one which is you seem determined to despise her um or maybe, uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I lied. I voted for another low one. Um, and yeah, I can't help but feel we're at odds with one another. Daenerys to Sansa. And I think I- that might have split the votes a little bit, but even collectively that, that only got like 14%. No, I, I feel like, I feel like the cock line was just them finally admitting that all they want is a dude to rule. <laughs> <laughs> just like thank you. This has been obvious for several seasons now, but thank you. Thank you for finally saying yes. it. I honestly think John's line wins because we all had that reaction though. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do they do? That Why is true. Are they there? So that is I don't 
know. I think it was a well-earned carol, but it just shows the quality of competition this year that, that we are having such a healthy debate. Greetings, Game of Thrones watchers. Gretchen here. I'm one of the managing editors of The Fundamentals, and you might know me from the Patriarchy Brain episode of Unabashed Book Snobbery, The Fundamentals' own Game of Thrones in a Cedia piece, or from YouTube and Twitter as Baal the Bard. Because if I can make in a Song of Ice and Fire reference and a pun based on my love of ancient Near Eastern mythology at the same time, I will. But enough about me. Let's get to the Golden Carols. Most Emmy-worthy line. If you're a screenwriter of any caliber, one of the highest awards you can strive for is an Emmy. And who would know that better than the Emmy-winning writers David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who gave us such iconic lines as, You want the good girl, but you need the bad pussy. That's my father. And he's my lord, my lord. For better or for worse, part of what makes Game of Thrones what it is, is the writing, including such lines this season as... Number one, I know a killer when I see one. Arya warning John about Danny after Danny has burned down all of King's Landing. Number two, heard you were broken in rough. Sandor inquiring about Sansa's rape and subsequent trauma. Number three, a proposal is what I'm proposing. The folksy Davos Seaworth. Number four, then all their cocksucking grandsons can ruin the family with their cocksucking ways. None other than Bronn to Tyrion and Jaime. Number five, so much for the breaker of chains. The joke Cersei said after Missande, a slave who had been freed, was killed while wearing chains. Number six, Arya was the one who killed the Night King, Sansa Stark. Number six, now which of you cowards shit my pants? Tormund Giantsbane after the Battle of Winterfell. Number seven, because I have balls and you don't. Of course, Tyrion to Varys. And the winner is... I know a killer when I see one. Arya warning John about Danny after Danny has burned down all of King's Landing. Oh, well, well this is fair. <laughs> I mean, good observation, Arya. What was your first hint? It wasn't it wasn't even close this category. That got no. about a third of the votes. Nothing else even touched it. The second place one um was 19.3% and it was Tyrion Tavares going because I have balls and you don't. <laughs> Um, I mean, the Arya line is actually in uh, the episode that has been nominated for Best Writing, so. <laughs> is it really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, so was uh, Bad Pussy, so. Uh. Yeah, Bad Pussy won an Emmy for Best <laughs> Writing, like, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, I know a killer when I see one is just... Well, she it, stands there, like, covered in asbestos from having been in the city while it was falling down. It just, it encapsulates so much, like, what the fuck was she doing here? It was so she could say that. <laughs> what? It is, I think that is well earned. Y'all know which one I voted for. There this are, is. and I'm actually kind of glad that the, like, really, I don't know, just the the ones full of cursing didn't do so well this year. It was more just the ones that are stupid. Mm-hmm. So, like, because there were some really bad, keep in mind, Bad Pussy won a Carol Award for Most Emmy Worthy Line. <laughs> and, it won because, a, uh, and it won an Emmy. Yeah, but then all their cocksucking grandsons can ruin the family with their cocksucking ways is like a line from this season. Right. They wrote that and th- that was allowed to be filmed. Like, what, what is happening in the show? Yeah. I mean, I'll never get over it. It's happening uh, I, in the I world. I just think our viewers are like really discerning. So 
But I know Killer When I See One, definitely a solid choice, earned it. You know, I think that's that's definitely going into um, legacies with, like, Bad Pussy. What was the one from season six and seven? Yeah, well, they'll probably face off in the Carol of Carols. I think Happy Shitting won in, in <laughs> yeah. season six. I am absolutely not remembering season seven right now, which is embarrassing because I just read it. <laughs> It was something like, oh, God, was it a year? Oh, finger in the bum. Finger in the bum. (laughs) Oh, God. My name is Bo, and it is an honor to be here at the Carols, the premier award show celebrating Game of Thrones and its latest attempts to dramatically satisfy us. The costume design of Game of Thrones never fails to impress, with such genius designs as dark coats and dark dresses to blend in with the dark environments, or mini needles so those pesky sewers feel powerful. The nominees for the best dressed of season 8 are Sansa's coronation dress inspired by Cersei Lannister and Marjorie Tyrell. Cersei's burgundy battle dress died perfectly to hide those unfortunate wine stains. Pod's Kingsguard armor and the goofy smile along with it. Danny's evil queen outfit where dark colors again meant villainy. Varys' fur-lined coat and gloves but no hood. Royce's wonderful breastplate and or puffy turtleneck, and Brienne's heartbreak housecoat. And the winner is Sansa's coronation dress inspired by Cersei Lannister and Marjorie Tyrell, because what even was the Blackwater? This is fair. This dress is actually really nice. Well... The number two choice was Brienne's heartbreak, heart- heartbreak house coat. <laughs> and I'm 90% sure it's because of the wording of it. I voted for Brienne's heartbreak house coat. I thought that was the funniest thing. I mean, how could you not? It was great, though, because it was like, I mean, this is one of those difficult categories because this can be taken both seriously and ironically. Yeah. Um, and, like, ironically, the correct answer is Brienne's heartbreak house coat. So no, I, I think I think Sansa's coronation dress could be taken ironically as well, just because, just like, of course, she would try to emulate Cersei. And but the the the, the idea that it's like inspired by whatever is just like Michelle Clapton. Well, so, yeah, I think like, it's supposed to be like inspired voodoo. by other queens, right? Yeah, yeah but Dan- that's just like that's just like background voodoo. It's like that's not apparent on screen, you know. So Danny's you know. evil queen outfit like was doing okay. I kind of feel like we should have added Danny's, you know crazy unbrushed hair or something like that. <laughs> I actually voted for uh, Royce's breastplate or puffy turtleneck because... You're just obsessed with Royce's I breastplate. I am. Like, more than the rest of us. We debated that for, like, a good five minutes on our podcast about the finale. I mean, I voted for uh, Cersei's burgundy battle dress. Oh, she has the best battle dresses. At least she was wearing pigment this year. Uh, Pot's yeah. king guard armor didn't do so well. I guess no one found that funny. I mean, just, you can't, how is that going to stand up against Brand's heartbreak house coat? It's it's true. It it just, it can't. As you all know, in fiction, the best way to create tension is to create a facade of danger for your characters. For years, Game of Thrones prided itself on being the show where anyone could die and no one was safe. Character deaths, oftentimes seemingly at random, became the order of the day. And the internet was always abuzz with theories and discussions about who could be next. Luckily for our main characters, however, the writers have outfitted them with specially crafted plot armor, which has protected them in moments where they would otherwise surely have perished. And so the nominees for most stylish plot armor in Season 8 are The layer of dust that protected Arya in a burning king's landing. 
John, Danny, and the Night King's matching sets of falling off a dragon in midair and suffering no injuries armor. John not being roasted by Drogon after killing Danny. The magical rock that protected John from Ice Viserion's blast. Pa, Jamie, and Brienne surviving waves of zombies. Euron jumping ship and swimming miles to shore. Jamie making it to Cersei after being stabbed repeatedly in the stomach. And the Night King being immune to dragonfire. And the winner is John not being roasted by Drogon after killing Danny. So I'm actually a little surprised that John not being roasted by Drogon won. I actually thought John not being roasted by Viserion would have won. Well, I mean, he's a Targ, so he's immune to dragon fire, I guess. Well, it's, it's not that. It's um, it's the magical rock that protected him. Yeah. yeah. Maybe and, because and Dragon just decided, like, not to. He was just like, nah. Right. And the rock technically is an armor. It's like a piece of setting. Yeah. So um, I think I've just seen Viserion, like, break down half of Winterfell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that makes sense. I think part of it, too, is, like, the... The fact that Drogon bothers to stick around to melt the Iron Throne, and then, <laughs> but like doesn't do anything to John, like that, that, that is pretty much just plot over because there was nothing else he couldn't have like survived. Well, you know, Drogon, Drogon knows that it's not John who really killed Danny; it was her own ambition. So I think Drogon might actually have another Carol in this, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, um, he does. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. It's definitely plot armor in the sense of why, but I'm thinking about it. Was that terrible scene in the first episode where John and Danny are making out and Drogon is staring at him? Was that like setting up that Drogon's cool with John now? So that's why he doesn't roast him? I don't know. Oh, I don't know if there's a connection there. I'm also a little mad that, uh, not mad, but I feel like Arya surviving King's Landing that was the second place. Yeah, uh, that's what I voted for. It just was so... She got hit by, like, full-on dragon fire at one point, And she was fine. Best prop. Game of Thrones has always been known for its deep and metaphoric storytelling, which has provided us with several seasons of symbols of symbolic symbolism. And sometimes those symbols take form in actual tangible objects. This category showcases the best of those. Our nominees are Arya's double-sided obsidian stick, the white book, floor map, the steam around Gendry, the fallen Liberty Bell, Danny's Starbucks cup, and the water bottles at the Dragon Pit. And the winner is... Danny Starbucks Cup. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was kind of cheating putting this in this category. It wasn't really a prop. It was a snafu, but, like, whatever. Floor map came so close. Floor map came in third, my love. <laughs> that is close when there's... How many are there? Three, six... There's eight. So I mean, the Starbucks the Cup won by almost 10 points from the second place one, and Floor Map came in third, so no, Caroline, it wasn't close. And, and second place was the Song of Ice and Fire, or I'm sorry, A Song of Ice and Fire by, you know, Maester whatever. Slug 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 yeah. Um, I actually didn't vote for any of this. 
What should you vote for? <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm a Philly girl. I voted for the Fallen Liberty Bell. Uh, just because I thought it was so funny. <laughs> like, they just put I mean, the Liberty Bell in. <laughs> really <laughs> subtle, guys. It had the crack in the same place. <laughs> Uh, the steam around Gendry did not do very well. I'm sorry, but the uh, the loser or the one with the least votes was the White Book. I guess people actually liked the White Book. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the they were all so good. I'm surprised. I mean, I like the steam around Gendry, but I I can't. Me and 201 other people can't pass up floor map when we see it. So. Hello, my name is Lucifer Means Lightbringer, and I'm known for analyzing the symbolism and mythology in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm simply delighted to take part in the Carol Awards, and especially excited to present the award for Finest Symbolism. Dave and Dan, like all good writers of cinema, know that symbolism looks cool. I mean, check out those cave drawings, am I right? Season 8 brought us some powerful symbols, even if it didn't always know why, and here are the contestants for Finest Symbolism. Number 1. Drogon Burns the Iron Throne Number 2. The White Horse Number 3. Danny's Dragon Wings imagery. Number four, the crack across the floor map. Number five, the fallen Liberty Bell. And the winner is Drogon Burns the Iron Throne. <laughs> He's such a poet. <laughs> I think poet we'll Drogon we'll might have another carol. <laughs> we'll see. Yes, he has another one. But, uh,. I'm actually surprised by this week because I thought it was almost too on, uh, like, on the nose to win. I mean, you know? it's written a little too on the nose, yeah, but that's not it our was fault. Also, what was it symbolizing, though? Because nothing ended up changing. <laughs> it was just symbolizing that Drogon didn't like chairs. Well, it's a dragon destroying the Iron Throne that a, a, a dragon originally made. Why, so. why did he destroy Dragonstone, then? Why didn't he destroy that throne? Like... <laughs> I don't know. Symbolism is... They don't really get symbolism. Yeah, I mean, like, they had a revolution where, like, they were meeting in the exact same fucking room. The crack across... With the across, same titles. Yeah. The, the crack across floor map didn't do very well, but that was actually really funny. Because it was, like, perfectly, like, the broken north to symbolize yeah. the north about to get independence. Do you know what lost... The Fallen uh, Liberty Bell. The Fallen Liberty Bell. I didn't even vote for it in this one. I can't quite remember what I voted for. I think it was Sandor deciding he hates his brother enough to die in fire. Not because it was good symbolism, but because D&D in their outside the episode gave this interview about how significant it was oh that he, he pushed his brother out a window during Clegane Ball. <laughs> uh, the White Horse came in third. I thought that was going to win. Yeah, the White that Horse? I mean, like... <laughs> I just can't, yeah, I just can't get over how like it amounted to nothing. Like you never see that poor horsey and again. And I went back and checked, and it was Harry Strickland's horse. It had the same markings. I'm telling you, it was definitely was. I it was know, definitely it was so Harry funny. Strickland's horse. Yeah, but no, Jogan well earned. You're, you you might have a, a really good cleanup this year, my friend. Just like uh, Alaria did in season six, I guess. Best sex scene. One of the key selling points of Game of Thrones has always been that it's a sexy kind of fantasy show. The one with naked bodies all over and copulating happening on screen at least once an episode, back in the good old days at least. Now, in the past few years, that have been toned down just a smidgen, maybe just to add to the hype of hashtag boat sex. But for this final and all-defining season, the sex scenes returned with a vengeance, 
And thus, we proudly present our your nominees for Best Sex Scene: Aya and Gendry, Brienne and Jamie, Cersei, Euron, and No Elephants, Bronn and the Distracted Sex Workers, Pod and the girls he had a threesome with. And the winner is Brienne and Jamie. Why are you doing this to me? I mean, Fair. I don't understand how Braun and the Distracted Sex Workers didn't win. That was hilarious. <laughs> that, was, that was my vote. It was so bad. <laughs> like, and I, then that was uh, Griffin's vote, too. I voted for Brienne and Jamie. Just Can because, you tell like, me why? Well, Arya and Gendry, like, like, squeaks me out. Yeah. Cersei and Euron just makes me angry. Braun and the Distracted Sex Workers was, like, funny, but, like, I'm sick of sex workers on the show already. And Pod and the Girls he had a threesome with. I, I didn't think, I don't know. I didn't think that hard about that one. I, I mean, like, Jamie pretty fast. I kind of like the idea how they figured this was their only opportunity to have sex workers this season. And they, like, really, really had to just, like, put no, it in there. Braun. Or else they'd have, like, no other chance. I, I, I liked the broad one because everything about it was so bad. It was, like, first of all, they had to confirm Ed Sheeran, like, died. Secondly, pop-up Kyburn. What? Like, like what What was that scene? Um, Jamie and Brienne... It was kind of, like, just a dumb hitch in the Jamie Cersei love story. <laughs> like, but that's the, that, that's the thing is it's like it's so it was like unnecessary in a lot of ways because it didn't do anything for the plot. Yeah. But I mean like you know Brienne was so ashamed of being a virgin. <laughs> Though I must say this pie graph is very satisfying looking. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty even. Yeah. Game of Thrones is well known for its many battles, and with many battles come a variety of genius military tactics to subvert the expectations of the armies involved and the audiences watching. The nominees for the best military tactic of Season 8 are The Army of the Living putting siege equipment outside the gates and in front of the Unsullied. The Army of the Living putting the Unsullied and the Dothraki in front of the trenches. The Dothraki cavalry charging straight into the Dark Abyss and getting un unceremoniously slaughtered by the Army of Whites. The Golden Company lining up outside the walls of King's Landing. Team Danny not letting their army rest after an apocalyptic battle. Cersei evilly allowing refugees into the Red Keep. Danny and Drogon burning all the pot shops in Flea Bottom on the way to the Red Keep. The Army of the Living putting a literal little girl in charge of defending the one gate into Winterfell during the Long Night. The Iron Fleet attacking Danny's fleet in the Blackwater, but leaving Dragonstone completely open. And finally, Danny facing the Iron Fleet dead on after Rhaegal's death instead of flanking the them and burning them, since their scorpions would take a long time to turn. And the winner is the Dothraki ch cavalry charging straight into the Dark Abyss and getting unceremoniously slaughtered by the Army of Whites. It's a good thing Melisandre showed up when she did. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a satisfying <laughs> pie graph at all. <laughs> no, but this like is... Somebody this hogged is, on the pie. This is... 43.9% <laughs> of the vote to the Dothraki. Completely fair. Because, like, that, I mean, that was the worst. But I even remember, like, watching the episode as it was happening and being like, what are they doing? <laughs> it's cavalry. This, this is the dumbest thing. Use, you do not use cavalry 
to ride out away from your defensive stronghold into the blackest night possible where you don't see shit and like have fun we know the zombies are there i'm sure i mean was it supposed to be evocative of the charge of the light brigade or something no, they just thought it'd be cool to have the lights snuffed out. And then yeah, the Dothraki came back at the final episode, so it didn't even matter. Like, oh my god. There's there's no justifying it. I mean, the thing about this category, though, is every single option is so bad and inept. Like, mm-hmm. the Unsullied were standing outside, and, and the catapults were in front of them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, but I love the wording of this. The idea of them charging into the dark abyss. <laughs> it's fantastic. The the one that got the least votes was actually pretty egregious too. It's the Iron Fleet attacking Danny's fleet in Blackwater Bay, but leaving Dragonstone completely open for them to retreat to. They're all so stupid. They're, They're all, so, all stupid. so stupid. Which is actually a nice segue into the next category. Best political machination. Let's be honest. The show lost the ability to tell compellingly intricate political intrigue stories right about the time Tyrion killed his dad for banging his girlfriend and Sansa married a rapist and serial killer for revenge. To quote play within a show Ned, what's that mean? We're not saying all of the characters have to aspire to Book Varys' level of subtlety, but these supposed chess moves should at least make some sense and not be blatantly obvious or foolhardy. Whose version of playing the Game of Thrones would put the Bravo C play version of Ned Stark to shame? Number one, Varys declaring his intention to betray Danny for John to multiple people in the open. Number two, Varys dismissing a John Danny marriage because she's, quote, too strong for him. Number three, Varys using a random little girl to sneak poison into Danny's food. Number four, Tyrion using his own trial as a way to become a kingmaker. Number five, Bran waiting in the courtyard at night in winter to tell Sam to tell John about his true parentage. Number six, Bran refusing to be Lord of Winterfell and then traveling down to King's Landing where he knew he'd be made king. Number seven, John telling Danny about his true parentage literally minutes before the army of the dead arrive. Number eight, Sansa telling Tyrion about Jon's true parentage so that he tells Varys only to be overheard by Danny, so that she makes her make ruthless decisions, thereby making Jon look better by comparison. Number nine, Cersei pretending her baby is Euron's. And number ten, the Dornish and Ironborn remaining in the Six Kingdoms as the North declares independence. And the winner is... The Dornish and Ironborn remaining in the Six Kingdoms as the North declares its independence. I, like, as, as much of a Dornstan as I am, I find the Six Kingdoms thing a little more annoying than anything else. <laughs> Just like, no, there were never seven kingdoms. That's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Um- I mean, this this just shows us how many snobby book fans there are that read us, I think. No, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I mean, the name of our podcast is Unabashed Books, not for But, like, to to a casual... Although, I don't know. I mean, wasn't Yara a queen when she allied with Danny? Right. Well, that's the thing. Is like It doesn't make any sense that only the North would secede in the situation. Right? Like, it would have, like, the ending would have been mildly more logical if the Seven Kingdoms had, like, entirely split, basically, and returned to their state before Aegon's conquest. Yeah. So the, the runner-up, uh, pretty close, also, just just a couple, not a couple, but, like, 
tens of votes separating them was Varus declaring his intention to betray Danny <laughs> like to multiple people in multiple places yeah <laughs> and like in the open, open. yeah uh, I voted for Sansa telling Tyrion about Jon's true parentage so that he tells Varys only to be overheard by Danny, so that <laughs> she then, you know, makes her mistakes or whatever it is. Because really, this is Sansa's fault and a victory for her when, when Varys is executed or whatever. Yeah, I voted for that one too. I'm quite sure I voted for the one that won. Because nice. just anything, if you put well, Dorn yeah, in anything, Dorn. I will vote yeah. for it. That's like putting out catnip for you. This is the big one, folks. If there's anything Game of Thrones is renowned for, it's the shocky shocks and the twisty twists. Ever since Ned was beheaded in Season 1, and then again after the Red Wedding in Season 3, D&D have been searching for new and better twists to shock their audience with. Season 8 pulled out all the stops by having more twists than ever before. And so the nominees for most shocking twists are... Arya killing the Night's King because John or Danny would be too obvious. John killing Danny because Tyrion told him to. Rhaegal being killed in three perfect shots because Danny kind of just forgot about the Iron Fleet. Danny murdering random small folk because of bells and deciding to make things personal when she saw the Red Keep. John going back to the Night's Watch. Jamie dumping Brienne and going back to Cersei. Bran being made king because he has the best story. And the winner is Arya killing the Night's King because Jon or Danny would be too obvious. Because we all know that Arya Stark was Azor High reborn the whole time. This is correct. This is the correct. Yeah, the correct answer. Yeah. Clearly two brilliant of writers to go with the most obvious thing like that. This was a tight category though because number... Two okay, so number two was a tie. Yeah, between Bran being made king because if he has the best story, and Danny murdering random small folk because of bells and deciding to make things personal. And then just behind that, literally only ten votes separating that from the second place winners, was Rhaegal being killed in three perfect shots because Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. (laughs) So Um, yeah, I mean they're all they're all very shocking twists, but you know, the, the Arya, I guess the reason I think Arya Killing the Night's King, that's what I voted for, that, that deserves the win, really, is because that's what D&D thought was going to be, like, the biggest shock, right? They I thought will, was the biggest twist. Honestly, I think it was the biggest shock I experienced watching this Yeah, show. I, I think I said yeah. during this season that this is the first time they actually managed to shock me. <laughs> not, not in a good way. No. Good evening. My name is Griffin, a contributor for The Fundamentals. I'm excited to be here presenting at the Golden Carols, since I had the unique experience of watching Game of Thrones Season 8 after skipping four seasons entirely, and it turns out that doesn't actually make any kind of difference. It's still bad. This category, the most creative use of teleportation, is a prime example of how attention to detail is completely unnecessary and ignored on the show. The finest examples of teleportation found within Season 8 are... John's army making it from the Trident to King's Landing in two days. The army of the dead taking years to reach the wall, but making it to Winterfell in two weeks. Grey Worm beating John to the steps in King's Landing when we saw John leaving Grey Worm executing Lannister prisoners. Tormund, Barrack and Company beating the army of the dead to Winterfell, but 
not to the last hearth. Grey Worm and Danny's fleet making it to Dragonstone after being attacked by Euron's fleet. And King's Landing teleporting to a desert. And the winner is... King's Landing teleporting to a desert. Yeah, this I was hilarious. a little upset that this one won. This was a blowout. I know, but just like, I don't know. It's just, it's not like... It's hilarious. I love I it. I love it. That's the one I voted for. It's the one Griffin voted for. I actually didn't vote for this one. I voted for the runner-up that had yeah. 16%. That would be Grey Worm beating John to the steps in King's Landing when, when we just saw John leaving Grey Worm executing Lannister prisoners. And he was headed straight there. Like, that like, was that's like, actual literal, teleportation. It's actual teleportation. Um, no did you see the happen. barren landscape around King's Landing? That, too, was actual teleportation. That was an was entire city. Was there a, um, a honeypot that they cut down the trees to make the scorpions or whatever? Did we make that up? Because we, we said that on one of our podcasts. I but. mean, there are not that many scorpions. Maybe it's a honeypot. Like, I don't Kingswood, know. Kingswood, the biggest forest south of the Neck. So there's well, Julia. There's all the forests on the uh, Iron Islands. So there you go. <laughs> the Army of the Dead taking years to reach the wall, but then booking it to Winterfell in two weeks only came in third, which is crazy. And then John's army, remember, was like, they're out the Trident, they'll be here in two days. <laughs> that only got seven percent of the vote. You know, for people that insist on including floor map in every opening sequence, like they really don't think about like geography. <laughs> and here we are with the finest impersonation award. The characters on Game of Thrones are critically acclaimed for being unique, nuanced, and complex. In fact, sometimes they're so complex and nuanced, they don't even feel like being in character. But fear not, dearest fans. What appears to be character assassination is none other than our faves impersonating someone else as a means to enhance their complex complexities. In this category, we will explore which character was the most unlike themselves. Done deliberately, of course. The nominees are Jamie, playing his season one, episode one self. Danny, playing a fascist dictator in episode six. Cheryl, playing Carol in her final moments. Arya, playing a character from a survival horror video game in episode three. John playing a broken record because of his iconic repetitive lines. I don't want it. And you're my queen. The Starks being Lannisters because of the dialogue. She's not one of us. Brienne playing a devastated housewife at the end of episode four. And Drogon playing a poetic anti-feudalism philosopher. And the winner is Drogon, playing a poetic anti-feudalism philosopher. Oh, Drogon. <laughs> Julia cooked the yes. books on this one. Oh, my God. No, this is perfect. This is absolutely 100% perfect. 100% the wording won this one. Are you kidding me? How else could you phrase it? Yeah, like, how else could you phrase phrase it? (laughs) Drogon decided that he hates feudalism because he killed his mommy. So (laughs) So he's a philosopher. (laughs) The runner-up is actually what voted for me, Jamie playing his season one, episode one self. (laughs) 
I thought that was pretty good. He, uh, he never really cared about the people of King's Landing. Oh I God. liked Danny playing a fascist dictator mm-hmm. and John playing a broken record. <laughs> the next two, but they were very close to it. I don't want it. <laughs> Brienne playing a devastated housewife. Um, I have a question. Did we get the Jogan playing a poetic anti-feudalism philosopher? Was that inspired by um, the Chris watches Game of Thrones? Right, because isn't there a part in that episode like where they did a little breakdown of it? I mean, the asbestos is uh, inspired by her. I don't know. Julia, didn't you write in this wording? Oh, no, I'm quite sure it was you, actually. I found it, it in the me. Google Doc already when I went to edit it, so it wasn't me. That means it was one of our contributors, who is likely one of our presenters also. So good job, whoever that was. That was really, really funny. One thing Game of Thrones always gets right is its dedication to pleasing the audience over sound storytelling or logical plot. The nominees for the finest examples of this dedication to fan service are Arya flying through the air to kill the Night's King, Jon riding Rhaegal on a romantic date, Jamie and Brienne having sex only for Jamie to immediately ditch her, Larry and Carol dying in each other's arms, the return of Tyrion's brothel and a honeycomb joke. Tyrion becoming Hand of the King after miserable failures. Maester Slughorn finishing the Song of Ice and Fire. The floor map included in the opening sequence. Clegane hype! Bronn's entire existence in Season 8, including him surviving to become Lord of Highgarden. And Lyanna killing a giant. And the winner is, naturally, Click Game Ball Hype. Get your air horns. Oh god, I can't believe Click Game, Game Ball, Ball actually happened. I mean, like, there's a little bit of Click Game Hype in the books, which is ridiculous. Um, so I well, guess that's where it comes from. Well, this one was battling back and forth with Bronn's entire existence in season eight, and it mm-hmm. ended up only winning by two votes. Wow! So a lot of a lot of squeakers in this Carol Awards. Um, I voted for Clegane Ball. I'll be honest. I don't remember because floor map is an option. So my <laughs> guess is that I voted for floor map, but I also feel like I voted for John riding Rhaegal. Well, so, Clegane Ball is kind of the most, at least in my opinion blatant form of fan service there is mm-hmm. there is no reason for it to happen whatsoever it's just this thing that that it, it was like a meme that people wanted to have happen and it actually happened yeah because just yeah. for the reason that it is clogane ball hype like right period you know the the other one that that was battling braun his entire existence for season eight that's actually a case where George R. R. Martin has gone on record and said, this character won't be as important in the books, but he tested well. So that's why they keep him around. I don't like it. <laughs> so we know it's fan service. Braun Tesswell? Really? Yeah, yeah, people love him, apparently. But like, yeah, Braun is just there to show that like Tyrion will associate with anyone, basically. Um, the, the third place choice was Jamie and Brienne having sex only for Jamie to immediately ditch her. Whose fans is this servicing? <laughs> I well, mean, I guess I, then I having guess, sex. Uh, yeah, I guess Larry. Uh, Larry shippers. shippers. No, but it also it also did just like for the Jane and Brienne shippers yeah. for the, I, a hot second. Yeah, I kind of yeah. think we should have put Gendry and Arya having sex, but I don't know that we wanted to poke that beast either. Or uh, didn't didn't Sansa like touch Sandor's hand for a minute before oh, yeah, being like, it. "I was glad I was raped," so that kind of <laughs> killed that. But. 
I'm just saying, there's like ship tease moments. There definitely were, but but I think you're right. I think the game will. The hype was like. <laughs> I love how you say hype. <laughs> It's it's like the one on one definition of what fan service is. Just look, kids. It's Clegane Ball and stabbing yeah. Gregor in the head, even though he's a zombie, doesn't work. Yeah. This show has had some great moments over the years. There's been so many of them that sometimes the writers can't help but revisit those moments or reference them in some way over and over and over again. The nominees for the best trip down GOT memory lane are Danny and John reenact Robert's entrance into Winterfell. Sansa reminisces about her trauma as character development. Brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. John and Arya bond over Needle. Arya and Sandor bond over how she left him for dead, but first she robbed him. Sansa and Tyrion reminisce about their marriage and also the purple wedding. Tyrion plays another round of Never Have I Ever. And Arya's call back to That's Not Me. For the second time. And the winner is Sansa reminiscing about her trauma as character development. Remember how she was broken in rough? Do we have to talk about this very much? I mean, at least our voters are astute and... um... I I didn't check, but I'm pretty sure this is going to win in another category too. We have some Sansa stands that that mm-hmm. lead us and I mean I'm I am among them so like, <laughs> no shame whatsoever uh but yeah that was a really fun trip down memory lane wasn't it yeah oh I, boy I think I voted for uh Danny and John reenact Robert's entrance into Winterfell <laughs> I don't know I just found that so like kind of just so obvious yeah I actually voted for the other Sansa one when she and Tyrion reminisce about their marriage and she's like you were the best of them all and yeah. that, that came in third uh, but yeah, Danny and John that came in fourth with the like, it's season one. Look, yeah, guys, we're gonna play the Baratheon game. What? There's a young, there's <laughs> a young scamping child. All the Baratheons are dead. Great job. <laughs> I think that was the most recent, like, like, like blatant. Just guys, remember how much you liked season one? <laughs> Look, but then uh, brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes came in second place, which. Uh, to me, that's less of a trip down memory lane and more of just a stupid retcon, <laughs> but right. I, I get why I got a lot of votes. Next up, we have the Finest Seating Award. D&D, like all good writers of cinema, know that foreshadowing means planting little seeds in the minds of the viewers, slowly watering them and nurturing them until the time is right, and then completely undercutting that fucking plant before it has a chance to poison the world with its oh-so-predictable fruit because, you know, subverting expectations. Here are the entries for finest seeding. Number one, Arya will shut blue eyes. Number two, snow on the Iron Throne, foreshadowing the time that it snowed. Number three, Danny engaging in warfare as a sign that she'll one day roast random small folk. Number four, the crypts are the safest place. Number five, Melisandre and Varys both dying in Westeros, like she said they would. Number six, Arya stick-hitting to foreshadow her stick-hitting zombies with a double-sided spear. And the winner is... Danny engaging in warfare as a sign that she'll one day roast random small folk. Yeah, 
like what she was doing was so different from what everyone else I mean definitely different from the time that like John got pissy and like executed a child or the time that he went berserk during that particular battle and decided to charge the entire army by himself like I'll say too like this was a squeaker as well two Mm -hmm. votes the second place one was the crypts are so safe (laughs) that's what I voted for I thought that was like so so on those but no, I'll tell you what, this 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 Danny engaging in warfare is a sign show one day roast random small folk. The the longer I think about I, I feel like as the season was going on, we were having a really hard time talking about the difference between seeding and building to something. Mm-hmm. Because just because something's there and you think you're setting the groundwork doesn't mean you're actually building to this moment right. or that it's gonna pay off in the way you expect. So like Danny roasting people she has always had this ruthless streak, right? Yeah. Clear. Clear as day. But it was always in the context of war. Yeah. Even the Tarleys. She doesn't want to take prisoners. That's dumb. But they're still political adversaries. This was the first time we've ever seen her even touch someone who wasn't in any way, like, a political enemy. Yeah. I mean, the closest would probably be when she executed that dude on a council for murder, right? Yeah, that was because like, he killed a slaver. Yeah, that was like because you know, an actual... she dealt with the because she dealt with yeah. the aftermath of roasting the slavers. <laughs> Most empowering moment. We all know how much Benioff and Weiss love to talk about empowerment. They had an entertainment weekly feature about how empowering women taking revenge and being like men is. Hashtag women on top. Yet we all remember the gothic horror of Winterhell. Sansa being traitorous by wearing a nice dress and Arya threatening to peel her face off for it. Yara yelling away Theon's PTSD, Cat being catty, Marge and Cersei being catty, Arya and the Waif being catty, Sansa and Arya being catty, you get the idea. Which moment this season lived up to their track record? Was it, number one, Sansa talking about how being broken and rough made her stronger? Number two, Danny and Sansa talking about boys instead of the political conflict between them? Number three, Brienne writing nice things about the guy who left her for his sister. Number four, Bran's king title being Bran the Broken. Number five, Tyrion being anti-bi-erasure when asking about Brienne's sexual history. Number six, Arya checking sex off of her bucket list. Number seven, the little soup girl offering to defend the crypts. Number eight, Lyanna killing a giant as she gets crushed to death. Number nine, Sansa telling her uncle Edmure to sit down. And number ten, Arya telling Yara that she'll cut her throat if she threatens John again. And the winner is... No surprises here. Sansa talking about how being broken in rough made her stronger. Fuck you guys. I mean, like, it's so empowering because, like, we all know that that's the only legitimate way to respond to being raped is to yeah. I mean, this have this it make a... you be stronger or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this was a uh, blow up for a reason. This this was like, we you know we're back to sexism one on one kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and you know, they're the continuing issue they have in the show with the pattern of thinking sexual violence is dramatic or character building or whatever and that you know the the horrible implication that in order to be a survivor with a story worth telling you have to have like grown from it or you know something like that or taking power from it in some way yeah 
Honestly, I thought this was going to get 75% of the vote, but mm-hmm. I think we had some very disgruntled Jamie Brienne shippers or something. Because <laughs> um, Brienne writing nice things about the guy who left her for her sister, for his, his sister. I mean, that, that was, was hilarious. Just, like, yeah, that, that was a moment we were just like, really? Seriously? Like... And that was framed to us as like, look how empowered Brienne is in her ending, and it's like all about Jamie. <laughs> Some of the my favorite one that didn't even come close was Arya telling Yara she'll cut her throat if she threatens John again, because it's like that's the only reason she was even brought to that council meeting so she could threaten Yara. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I voted for the winner. I. To me, I thought this was going to get 75% of the vote. But we had, you know, Brand the Broken coming in third, which is mm-hmm. pretty egregious. Yeah. Uh, and then Danny and Sansa also were, like, talking about boys. And Sansa was like, sit down, uncle. So there, there's some good snappy snap moments. Mm-hmm. Most earned moment. We here at the Carol Awards are almost as devoted to dramatic satisfaction, trademark, as the esteemed writers of the show are themselves. And what would be more dramatically satisfying than well-earned narrative accomplishments? This year, your choices were between John writes Rhaegal, Arya killing the Night King, Cersei and Euron have sex, Jamie and Brienne have sex, Bran becoming king, Sansa becoming queen, Danny snapping from the belts. And the winner is... Danny snapping from the belts. <laughs> I'm surprised. Yeah, we talked about this very extensively during the run of the season. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think we have it quite figured out. That's what the <laughs> I, retrospectives are going to be for. I don't know if you can figure it out. It makes There's no logic to it, so how could you figure it out? Well, the it's thing stupid. is, how, how it makes sense to me isn't how D&D describe it. So, like... What do you mean? And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, but to me, like, the Bells didn't make her snap it's just she expected this catharsis from winning and it didn't come and she's like you know what no cersei doesn't get off easy i'm going to make her pay but then he but said then she that, doesn't do that but that's, but that's she, not at all on screen that's not like, no. that's a honey pot that's just, not at all like on you screen. know burning yeah, all the exactly, random hot shots and then dd said that she like looked at the red keep and she's mad that the other people than her ancestors lived there so she decided to like make it personal and torch it yeah I am shocked that Bran becoming king but did not win. Again, she didn't torch the Red Keep. She torched everything on the way to the Red Keep and then torched the Red Keep. And the Which dungeon and, and, and the, the dungeons but bo- she torched the dungeons below the Red Keep so that they would crumble on top of Laryl. <laughs> yeah, so uh Bran becoming king was not far behind. It still got a quarter of the votes, but you know I'm shocked that didn't win. I bet I, yeah. I like I saw that and I thought that was like Yeah, like that was down. totally unearned. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think it just shows how egregious Danny's heel turn is, to be mm-hmm. honest. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean these were both big contenders and, and honestly, Arya killing the Night's King coming in third, it's still got sixty percent of the vote, but the fact that that's in third in this season, you know what I yeah. mean? Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Though basically nothing came together within the season, it was clear from the words at least your balls won't freeze off that memes would be hot. Therefore, the Golden Carol nominees for most meme-tastic moments are Cersei really wanted those elephants, Floor Map in the opening sequence, Air Arya with a half-court dunk, The Night King's smirk, well, Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet, though they haven't forgotten her. To be honest, I never cared much for the people of King's Landing, said Jamie. 
and Clegane Bowl. And the winner is... Well, Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet from David Benioff's Inside the Episode interview. I mean, this is going to be an actual, like, meme forever, just, like, creatively it made is, sense yeah. and stuff like that. It's just, like, a cla- an instant D&D classic. Now, for those of us following us along during the season, you know the clear winner is actually the thing that ended up in number two. This had 30% of the votes where uh, <laughs> Iron Fleet had 439 and that's, of course, Cersei really wanted those elephants. <laughs> uh, I mean, every time I see an elephant now, I'm going to think yeah. of Cersei. <laughs> The, th- the third place winner was, uh, to be honest, I never much cared for the people of King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Jamie saying it, which which is also a legitimate meme. Because mm-hmm. then they would have, you know, it was like Robert Baratheon going, to be honest, I never much cared for Bessie's tits. You know, things <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. My boy, my boy floor map did not, I think came in last. Air Arya with her half-court dunk only got 4%. Like, that's hilarious. Most convenient resolution. As we all know, our favorite show is a master at resolving conflicts in ways that never feel rushed, cheap, contrived, or poorly written. This category acknowledges perfect resolutions to the greatest storylines of our time. The well-concluded nominees are Arya kills the Night King. Theon rescues Yara. Danny torches the Golden Company and Iron Fleet in 5.2 seconds. Euron perfectly snipes Rhaegal three times to take another dragon from Danny. Danny accepts Jamie because a few mains stand for him. Mel deciding her storyline is over. Cersei dying before her pregnancy mattered at all. Sandor convinces Arya not to care about revenge anymore. And the winner is... Euron perfectly snipes Rhaegal three times to take another dragon from Danny. <laughs> Yep. I mean, we I don't I want Danny to be too overpowered for the last battle. God, we don't I can't want to be so excited for this, or if I voted for the Golden Company. I think I might have voted for the Golden Company. The Golden Company came in second. I mean, that was just like whelp, but the, the difficulty of hitting that jack, like whatever. Oh my god. Yeah, and I guess like Drogon really learned from that experience. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think another contender that I'm surprised didn't get more is um sander convincing Arya not to care about revenge anymore yeah that's the one i voted for because it really was like if you if you rewatch that episode which i did to prepare for this uh carols um yeah. the the fact that like the Arya going to king's landing at all and then like literally the girl walks all the way into floor map like all the way into whether i keep on the floor map and that's when sander hands her her uh resolution and then yeah. she walks out. That's, it's like, it's ridiculous. It, it's like absolutely ridiculous when you realize that that's what happened. But Arya ended the entire apocalypse with one convenient blow from out of nowhere. And that only came in third with but, 18%. I mean, but at least she like, I guess, trained or something for that, right? This was like, literally like Sandor suddenly decided revenge was futile. And he was going to tell Arya, but then not apply it to himself. I love how uh, Arya 
killing the Night King had like nothing at all to do with her character arc at all. How was that not? I think by definition that is the most convenient though, and I say this mm-hmm. not having voted for it myself. Yeah, it's just like, but, like oh, okay, I guess. I, I guess. I that's guess resolved. the zombies are done. All right, <laughs> that's true. Game of Thrones takes inspiration from many iconic fiction sources. Among them, a love of making things like poetry, because they rhyme. Combined with their love of death, and you have a spicy poetic gumbo. The nominees for the most poetic death of season eight are. Theon defending Bran from the Night King. Jorah defending Danny from the White Whites during the Battle of Winterfell. Lyanna Mormont taking out a giant. Barrett tanking for Arya and Sandor. Euron fighting over something dumb and irrelevant. Cersei and Jamie dying, holding hands and crying. Danny being put down for her own good. And the Iron Throne being burned instead of John because of anti-feudalism symbolism. And the winner is the Iron Throne being burned instead of John because Drogon is one heck of a philosophy major. I mean, this is great. clearly anti-feudalism is like the theme of the entire show, right? Drogon is such a big winner. Well, yeah, they broke the wheel. That's yeah, why clearly. only this was hereditary the lords can choose the ruler now. And when Sam suggested democracy, they all laughed. <laughs> Yay, good job. That's really poetic. The The second most poetic death was uh, Cersei and Jamie dying, holding hands and crying. <laughs> Next up, the award for most anachronistic moment. As we know, Game of Thrones is on an unending quest for medieval realism with just a dash of magic, which is occasionally undercut either by modern sensibilities or by modern means of carrying hot liquids about. This year's contestants for most anachronistic moment are... Number one, Brienne, a high-born, unmarried Westerosi woman, being shamed for being a virgin. Number two, the Never Have I Ever game. Number three, I respect that, Arya Stark. Number four, Gendry going down on one knee to propose to Arya. Number five, Tyrion being anti by erasure. Number six, everyone being upset about aunt-nephew incest. Number seven, the Starbucks cup. And the winner is... Brienne, a high-born unmarried Westerosi woman being shamed for being a virgin. smart smart viewers it's it's not even uh the actual anachronism of the starbucks cup that won yeah. in a second I th- this was 57.6 percent a blowout that's awesome yeah but that was a really good point though because when i was watching the show i didn't notice that the first time through and then somebody pointed what, it the out anachronism or the starbucks cup the net but both but this this anachronism of uh brienne being shamed for being a virgin like, it, I just didn't register with me the first time I watched that episode, and then subsequently I was like, oh my god, that's like the dumbest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Game of Thrones has long been a series that has championed feminism and the rights of women to lead and to rule. However, the writers have always been well aware that, in reality, bitches be cray, yo. And so, Season 8 delivered to us a host of examples of excellent leadership. Brought to you by the penis. The nominees for the award for clearly superior, that is to say, male leadership, are 
John doing nothing but shout at a dragon during the long night but getting credit for winning that battle. Tyrion leading a meeting by recounting his story about a donkey and a honeycomb in a brothel. Bran being made king for having the best story. John existing while having a penis. Tyrion creating a new form of government while bound as a prisoner. Bran making Tyrion his hand for being so bad at it before. Sam being made Grand Maester for dropping out of school. And finally, Bronn being made Master of Coin when previously not understanding the concept of debt. And the winner is Bronn being made Master of Coin when previously not understanding the concept of debt. that my favorite didn't win although it came in third is it John existing while having a penis that was also my favorite and that is what I voted for as well yeah honestly I think you split the vote with John doing nothing but shout at a dragon and then still getting credit for the battle <laughs> well, if only we had joined forces we would have won a penis. And then uh, we, Bran's vote might have been split by, uh, oh no, Tyrion was made hand for being bad at it before. (laughs) And then Tyrion also made a new form of government while being bound as a prisoner. (laughs) Oh man. That might have split the vote. I gotta tell you guys, like, I list, I read a lot of stuff about Game of Thrones, I think about it a lot because I'm a crazy person. And Mm -hmm. I remember things like that, like Tyrion's, like, bound up and, like, talking to all these people suddenly creating a new government i'm just like what the hell did they do with this show how did this get passed how did this get greenlit for oh i'm TV? sorry we also had Tyrion leading his tenure of, as hand by talking about a donkey and a honeycomb in a brothel <laughs> i mean clearly they're more qualified than danny oh no because they don't have all those crazy emotions most culpable for Varys's death Varys's death was foreshadowed back in season seven. And by foreshadowed, I mean Melisandre told him he was going to die in Westeros, and then the next season, he died in Westeros. Wow. Such subtlety, much seating. Anyway, Varys may have had it coming, but who actually is the most responsible? Number one, Drogon for burning Varys. Number two, Danny for telling Drogon to burn Varys. Number three, Tyrion for telling Danny Varys was doing some treason. Number four, Varys for doing some treason. Number five, the small girl for failing to poison Danny. Number six, Sansa for suggesting treason to Tyrion, who then told Varys. Number seven, John for telling Sansa about his claim to the throne. Number eight, Prince Ragger and Lyanna for their secret marriage and baby. Or number nine, the patriarchy. And the winner is... The Patriarchy. So so just a little bit of Carol Awards insider background or whatever. This whole thing originated because of Danny's weird line that I guess was showing paranoia about how Varys being roasted by her was a victory for Sansa because she foresaw this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so then I just... I I did the whole like your fault from into the woods and I just kept backing out. So whose fault was it? Was it Jurgen for burning Ferris? Danny for telling Jurgen to burn Ferris? And so and so and so. And then we just kept backing out until we got to the patriarchy, which won by like a healthy margin. It got thirty percent of the vote. The the runner up was uh Varus for actually doing the treason, and that that only yeah, got I mean, seventeen point like, eight percent. Well, I think we should. I think we should mention that at some he, point. He legitimately was plotting treason against the monarch. <laughs> what is she supposed to do? <laughs> this is a great category. Was it? This was a. I guess this was a season eight exclusive, right? Because Varys is only dead once. 
So this is a great one. I love it. And now on to Best Mad Queen Setup. We all know that the Khaleesi's well-written and perfectly logical descent into madness has been foreshadowed since the beginning of the series. Like that time she didn't care that her abuser, her brother Viserys, was killed. Or when she killed evil slavers to free their victims from oppression. But what were the well-written and perfectly logical clues in this season specifically? Our well-seated nominees are Danny emotionally burning whites during the battle, Danny being grumpy at a party, Danny getting rejected for sex by John, Danny asking John not to tell anyone about his claim to the throne. Danny being upset that her best friend was murdered. Danny forgetting to put on makeup and brush her hair. Danny losing Rhaegal. Danny losing Jorah. Danny executing the guy who was literally plotting to kill her. Or Danny using Drogon to target military fortifications. And the winner is Danny forgetting to put on makeup and brush her hair. I, I love I love all the like nominees in this category so much. The, the, the nominees are gold. Uh Danny forgetting to brush her hair only won by like 15 votes over Danny being grumpy at a party, which yep. was also my, my vote was that. Cause that's, that's when Vara starts getting really worried about it. Right. She's just like sad at a party because her like the, all of her friends that she have are not there for no explainable reason. Apparently Grey Worm and Masande were like shoved off in a corner. I didn't even notice them because the I filming thought they were all having sex, but it's No, they were just they were in the room apparently. Just so well, well, why wouldn't they be Danny. with Danny? That doesn't make any sense. That makes even less sense if they're there but they're not with her. That's stupid. But well, I, I voted for her no not idea. putting on makeup and brushing her hair. I thought that was great. That's it because it also plays into their whole like sexism kind of like, well, she's crazy, so you know, when a when a woman's hair isn't nice, something's wrong. Most unreasonable Sansa action. Ever since the conception of the Carols, and the conception of our beloved show, if we're being honest, the character referred to as Sansa Stark has confounded writers and viewers alike. We here at the Carols have puzzled over the different aspects forming the construct of her character before, and we have judged her harshly for her deplorable attempts to undermine her brother's rule that he transferred to her while on hashtag boat sex business. And now, even with her brother King Homan in charge, and having brought with him a queen aunt who is even more in charge, that pesky Sansa Stark character won't stop voicing her opinions as if she had any idea what she was talking about or something. Here are your nominees for the most unreasonable Sansa action. Telling the queen that Winterfell is hers. Asking Danny how she is going to feed the dragons during winter. Asking Danny what her plans are vis-a-vis -vis the north. Apologizing to Danny for not immediately thanking her when she arrived in Winterfell. Suggesting the troops rest. Marching an army down to King's Landing to save her brother. 
keeping the North independent as her lords wanted. And the winner is... Oh my! It seems that our esteemed viewers were not able to make up their mind about which of these actors is the most unreasonable, and we are witnessing a tie. In fact, it is entirely tied up between Sansa asking Danny how she is going to feed the dragons during winter and suggesting that the troops rest before marching down south. It therefore falls to me to refer this judgment call to RMCs. It's a tie! It's a tie! We, we have to choose between suggesting the troops rest and asking Danny how she's going to feed her dragons during winter. And, and we've never had this before. They're both tied at about a third of the vote. So, okay, so here's my thought process. I am going to... Well, it's three of us, so obviously there's a tiebreaker in the, us. Yeah, I'm going to vote for suggesting the troops rest because you can argue that asking Danny how she was going to feed the dragons during the winter had like a kind of confrontational, passive-aggressive kind of bent to it. Mm-hmm. But like suggesting the troops must rest seemed a lot more like actual advice. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly more unreasonable. So that's well, I, I'm going to let Caroline be the tiebreaker then. Oh, I'm actually God. casting my vote for how she's going to feed the dragons during winter. And the reason is, I while yes, suggesting the troops rest is obviously a more innocuous thing mm-hmm. and therefore a better ironic answer, mm-hmm. I think... Asking how she's going to feed the dragons during winter is more in the spirit of this category, where it was framed as this hyper-catty thing. Like, mm-hmm. this ultra-catty moment, and oh my god, and then J- D- Danny and John threw a shit fit about it for, like, two episodes. But when you think about it, she was literally talking about rations, and then we find out that the dragons are eating, like, 55 goats. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm gonna I know, that, that was, like, you know, like, a bad eating day, that they only ate 55 right. goats. It was concerning. Yeah, she, well, it, it was like 18, but she was so worried about them, yeah. <laughs> well, so I, Caroline, it's all up to you. I appreciate both of your arguments. Um, and I'm going to have to go with Julia on this one, suggesting mm. the troops rest. Because, <laughs> I'm not mad. Like- <laughs> because, and this is why, I, I do think asking Denny how she's going to feed the dragons is is less unreasonable. So I don't know how... So I think suggesting the troops rest is a more reasonable action is a more reasonable action, right? And so the the category yeah. requires it to be some. This is ironic. It's always unreasonable. The reason I think it actually is a, t- a tad unreasonable to ask the mother of dragons how and the uh, to, how she's going to feed her dragons is the following: these are at minimum her pets, at maximum her like spiritual children. And she's had them for a very long time and raised them since babies. It's kind of like if you, like, show up to a party with a dog or, like, show up to, like, your, your relative's house with a dog. And they're like, well, did you bring food? Like, of course you brought food because it's your dog. So it is kind of, it's a tad unreasonable, mm-hmm. but actually. But she didn't bring food. Well, I know she brought choice. them to like fight. She she brought them to fight the zombies that are approaching. No, I mean I, yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. I just I, they are very they are both very strong, but I think yeah. it's a, it's ever so slightly more reasonable to. And I do think that there was less catty in terms of saying like you know well we should arrest the troops because they're like sick and falling apart. And then you know it's framed as hyper ambition or whatever. Right. I don't know <laughs> that unreasonable jerk sense. <laughs> But well, take, take congratulations, Lenny, uh, suggesting the troops rest. You have one. Finest Cheryl moment. As much as we all miss Mama Carol, 
We cannot deny the iconic nature of Queen Cheryl Lannister, the biggest, baddest villain to ever villain in the history of Game of Thrones villains. From caressing her glasses of wine as she watched the set go up in flames, while smirking, to torturing Team Sandfake, while smirking, Cheryl is infamous for her devious plans of deviousness. So what was our favorite villainess up to this season? Which of her scenes were truly worth our screen time and true to her character? What was the moment that perfectly embodied Cheryl? The nominees are Being Sad About Elephants to Harry Strickland Having Sex with Euron and then Complaining About Elephants More her devious plot to let refugees into the castle. Her devious plot to have Bronn kill Jamie and Tyrion with the same crossbow Tyrion used on Tywin. Drinking and smirking at the balcony window. When she rings the bells and surrender. When she kills Miss Sandy. When she scoots past Sandor. So hashtag Clegainebow can happen. And the winner is when she scoots past Sandor, so hashtag Clegainebow can happen. <laughs> yeah, this one by a landslide. <laughs> this one by a landslide, 41.9%. I mean, I didn't even really think about it, but when you just picture Cersei scooting away from Clegainebow, yeah. it's like, Excuse me? <laughs> it was like this thing, just like, oh, I'm going to take my last, like, two loyal followers and we're going to go hide. And, and then she's just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving now. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the, the elephants was a little bit of vote splitting, but mm. even combined, it still wouldn't have won. That would have only gotten about a quarter of the votes. Uh, and then her smirking and looking out the balcony window got 19%. That's all she did. <laughs> As the character with the proclaimed best story of any character in Game of Thrones, Bran Stark serves as an inspiration, proving there's no need to give your robot character any of those pesky, conflicting human emotions. The nominees for best use of the Bran by are... Bran interrupting Danny and Sansa greeting each other because there's just no time. Bran commanding Sam to go tell Jon about his true parentage. Bran waiting in the courtyard of Winterfell for days and nights for Jaime to deliver the shocking cliffhanger of episode one. Bran as bait for the Night's King, and nothing else. Bran as the person with the best story, which qualifies him to be king. And finally, Bran as a skin changer of birds, and only birds, because that's why he was called the Three-Eyed Raven, I guess. And the winner is... Brand's week-long wait in the courtyard of Winterfell for Jamie to deliver the shocking cliffhanger of episode one. Yep, thirty-five point nine percent. I mean, you have to have that shocking, uh, that shocking cliffhanger. So yeah. you're just gonna have the disabled man sitting in a wheelchair outside all day. No problem. So much poop happened during the season. It's kind of hard to remember how funny episode one was. Yeah. And that was just punctuated by Bran sitting in a fucking courtyard for three days <laughs> while everything happened around him. All of these nominees were great. I don't remember which one I voted for, but that all of them are like are really good. Yeah, second place wasn't far off, 32.1%, and that was Bran becoming king. 
with the best story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, not bad. The Saint Tyrion Ultimate Fan Award. No award show would be complete without taking a minute to profess our devotion to Saint Tyrion, the unproblematic fave, the voice of reason to stand tall against the madness of the maddest queen. And luckily, this season yet again provided him with plenty of acknowledgement that he is so very deserving of. This year's candidates for the Saint Tyrion Ultimate Fan Award are Jorah who defends him after he messes up for the thousandth time and says he's the perfect hand. Danny, who says he's too important to risk in battle. Varys, calling Tyrion his best friend, even after Tyrion betrayed him to Danny. Sansa, for saying the marriage could have worked out in different political circumstances. Bran, for saying Tyrion is the perfect hand because he was such a bad hand to Danny. The council that lets prisoner Tyrion choose the king. And the winner is... The council that lets prisoner Tyrion choose the king as it should be. That Varys yeah. lost his streak. I voted by a lot. I voted for Varys. Won every single one of these other awards ever. I voted for Varys. I, I felt nostalgic for Carol Awards past. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I believe I voted for Sansa, saying that their marriage totally could have worked out in other political circumstances. I think an unappreciated one was Bran saying Tyrion's the perfect hand because he was a bad hand. Like, why? But the council... No, letting a prisoner create a new system of government is, you know, pretty remarkable. (laughs) Just like he totally took over the meeting. Yeah, 48.7%. Everyone loves Tyrion. Everyone's the ultimate fan. (laughs) Game of Thrones is known for being the show with the most realistic kind of characters. And we all know that in real life, people just tend to forget important things at the most convenient or sometimes inconvenient, moments. The award for best I forgot I have amnesia moment has the following nominees. Danny kind of forgets about the Iron Fleet, but they haven't forgotten her. Jamie forgot he killed Ares to save the innocence of King's Landing. Tormund forgot he rode the, on the back of a dragon last season. Yara and the new Dornish prince forgetting they won independence. Tyrion forgets he hates Cersei and makes a plan with Jaime to save her. Jaime forgets that Cersei sent Bronn to murder him and Tyrion. Cersei forgets that she sent Bronn to murder Jaime and Tyrion. And the winner is... Jaime forgot he killed Ares to save the innocence of King's Landing. Yeah, that one still stings. Correct answer. Yeah, so 45.2% of the vote, uh, Jaime... This is yeah, the correct he, answer. Absolutely, he the forgot. This is honestly the only correct answer because, yeah. to be honest, I've never cared for the people of King's Landing. Uh, Danny f- kind of forgets about the Iron Fleet, but they haven't forgotten her. Came in second, which is D and D. It's it's Benioff's exact wording in the interview. <laughs> that's, that's why we said it, and it's pretty. I think I might have voted for that, but Jamie is the correct. Yeah, answer. I mean that's like Fularia that. level character assassination. Yeah, exactly. That's like it, it, season one, episode one, Jamie. And then, and then Tormund, forgetting he rode on the back of a dragon, piloted right, by Danny. Exactly. He's like, "What? This guy got on a dragon? Who does that?" It's like literally Who does you. That you did. Literally you, did. you, sir. She picked you up from school. 
Next up, the what was the point of that award? There was a time long ago when readers of A Song of Ice and Fire saw that the TV show would finish before George would and began to worry about the show ending spoiling the books. However, David and Dan courageously stepped into the breach and offered to end their show in the most nonsensical, inexplicable way possible, thereby preserving the suspense for the winds of winter and a dream of spring. Which element of the ending best achieved this goal, causing viewers to ask, just what was the point of that anyway? Number one, the White Walker spiral pattern. Oh, God. Number two, the White Walkers. Just the White Walkers, in general. Number three, the Golden Company. Number four, important Valerian steel swords. Number five, Arya giving Sansa a dragonglass dagger. Number six, Arya dramatically getting on a horse. Number seven, Jamie and Brienne... Having a relationship. Number eight, R plus L equals J. Number nine, the wildfire in King's Landing. Number ten, Cersei's pregnancy. And the winner is the White Walkers in general. Yes, that's right. What was the point? We don't know. <laughs> Yeah, a third of the vote to the White Walkers. Yes. I mean, yeah, what was the point of that? We even had potential votes splitting with their spiral pattern, because, like, mm-hmm. what was that? But just, what were they? Yeah, the spiral pattern only got uh, 6.8%, and the runner-up was R plus L equals J. I think is, that should uh, have won. For the uninitiated, that is the fandom term for um, John's parentage. But here's the thing, at least... John's parentage, and I hate to say this, at least it drove a wedge with Danny. Like it did, it did something. Kind oh, I see what you're saying. I, I, I sort of interpreted. Walkers- it, I sort of interpreted the R plus J as sort of like, um, what was the point of that prophecy? I guess maybe I, yeah. I, well, sure, I read sure. more into that than necessary. Did they even have a prophecy on the show? Oh, and and it was. Um, no, but you, don't get me wrong. I mean, R plus L equals J didn't really have a point on the show other than making Danny sad. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that. It's just in terms of lasting impact on the geopolitical situation, mm-hmm. I, I think it was that more than the White Walkers. That's true. That's true. I guess you could argue Dan wouldn't have, uh, Dan, John wouldn't have allied with Danny, <laughs> excuse mm-hmm. me, had it not been for the White Walkers. I don't know, but they... There were just some army that showed up and then went away. Yeah, like, they, they like, easily could have been like a bunch of disgruntled umbers. Right. Game of Thrones may have won the Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series the past three times it was nominated. Really? Okay. But <laughs> but we here at the Carol Awards understand that the show really is the TV's finest comedy. To honor that mirth, we have the Why Can't I Stop Laughing Award. In season eight, the competition was fierce among the following nominees. I don't want it. You're my queen. John. All season, every scene. King Bran has the best story. John riding Rhaegal for the first time. The long night lasting a few hours. Smirking Knight's king can't get killed by dragon fire. Cersei and Jaime reunite on floor map. Cersei scoots past Sandor and Gregor to let them fight. I really wanted those elephants. Arya sneaking around the castle fighting whites. The wildfire in The Bells randomly belching. Arya announcing as she arrives in the camp outside King's Landing, I'm Arya Stark. I'm going to kill Queen Cersei. 
Jamie waving his golden hand above the crowns, trying to get into King's Landing before the battle like he's hailing a cab. Realizing the white horse is indeed Harry Strickland's horse. And the winner is... Cersei scoots past Sandor and Gregor to let them fight. How polite. And oh, a multiple Carol winner. A multiple Carol winner to Cheryl or Carol, whoever she was in that moment, scooting past Sandor and Gregor once again with, with a quarter of the vote. And I mean, I think I literally couldn't stop right. laughing <laughs> without so happening. It is, it is so effortlessly funny. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. The things like the, the runner-up was the long night lasting a few hours. That's funny in retrospect. Yeah. As Cersei was scooting, yeah. I, was, I was like howling with laughter. And then the next, thir- the, the next two, uh, I think, are both serious contenders. Uh, Jamie waving his golden hand above the crowd to try to get into King's Landing like he's <laughs> hailing a cab. And then uh, after that, in fourth places, I really wanted those elephants. <laughs> no, 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 that was fifth place. Was fifth elephants place? didn't do very well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah by... By point two percent. Fourth place was just John just going. I don't want it. You're my queen. Like all season long, that was fun. Like shut. Well, you just had a laugh at the dumb idiot by the end of that. You know. Uh, but no, elephants. Elephants didn't do very well. This no. Carol Awards. I, I mean, I remember laughing out loud when she said that. So. Yeah. And now the devil is in the details award. This could also be called the Gendry Sprinters Award or the Littlefinger Teleporter Award, and we think you get the idea. This year's nominees for the most beguiling, devilish details are... Number one, whites can break through stone tombs this season, but couldn't bust through a wooden box last season. Number two, Knight's King is impervious to dragonfire, but vulnerable to weapons forged with dragonfire. Okay. Number three, the Dothraki not attempting to avenge their dead Khaleesi, who made them all blood riders. Number four... Grey Worm executing Lannister prisoners on the spot, but letting John and Tyrion live for months. Number five, the Bells never meaning surrender in season two. Number six, Melisandre showing up from the north of Winterfell, appearing from where the army of the dead would most logically be. Number seven, hey, does anybody know who rules Storm's End? You? You? Anyone? Hmm. Number eight, Everyone making it seem like John was forced to bend the knee to Danny when he did so after she said she would help him fight the White Walkers last season. Number nine, the narrative and characters making it seem like Danny had no support in Westeros when she had Dorne, the Reach, and the Ironborn on her side. And the winner is... Knight's King is impervious to dragonfire, but vulnerable to weapons forged with dragonfire. I'm going to call it now the, the winner aside for a second. This is the most pleasing pie graph. Yo, oh, it definitely sure. is. It's beautiful. And like you have those like two small unlabeled bits next to the pink one. Oh, it's beautiful. If, if only you guys could see it. <laughs> I will also say this is the correct answer. This is absolutely the correct answer. I, I, I mean, like they only did it because they thought it would be like it would, like another like kind of like Arya killing the Night's King thing. Like, oh, so shocking and unexpected. It's, it's one of those classic things so that they don't think anything about world building through like it's the same reason that obsidian has to be plunged into the knight's king heart in the exact same place that the obsidian was plunged into his heart like you know what i mean they don't think why in the books valyrian steel or dragonglass has an effect on remember White when Walkers. we found out it was like this huge revelation that the children of the forest who were never named as such i don't think made the white walkers 
Remember when that was like framed as a huge deal, but like not yeah, the homeopaths addressed at any point. They, they just they didn't think about this at all. It's because it's touched with dragon fire. It's a song of ice and fire. Like the narrative and characters making it seem like Danny has no support in Westeros when she has Dorne, the Reach, and the Iron Islands <laughs> is pretty good too. I mean, these are huge tracts of land. Huge tracts of that, land. Yes. Yeah. And then, oh, that tied with the next one. Oh, yeah, the tied with uh, Grey Worm executing Lannister prisoners on the spot, but then letting John and Tyrion live. Like, why? Wow. Uh, th- after that came the Bells never meaning surrender back in season two. We were told many times that the Bells didn't mean surrender, mm-hmm. <laughs> and suddenly they do. Why do you guys think, so we have this category, Devil in the Details, why do you think they miss things like this that... I mean, I feel like even a casual fan could pick up, like, huh, the Night King didn't die from Dragonfire, but he did die from... And, I mean, this was a really cold list. If you guys remember, we had, like, 15 nominees, and we're like, we can't have this many. Right, we cut it down. So, but why they... I I guess I'm trying to understand. I think the answer, Caroline, is that they just don't give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, the one thing our retrospectives, I think, have shown above anything else is that they are fundamentally lazy. Mm -hmm. They do not have an interest in telling the story. They do not have an interest in this world. They don't care. They just want to go from path A to path B, wherein path B will be shocks. Mm-hmm. And they do not care. Mm-hmm. But then they have, it's, like, the um, spear-shaped poles in Dorne. Because yeah. they have very, like, talented yeah, the, 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 set the, designers. Like, the, the set designers give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michelle Clapton for yeah. whatever we think yeah, of her. She whatever else you might say about her, she definitely tries. <laughs> <laughs> she does try to make sense of the thing. Most earned endgame position. AKA, whose ending are we scrambling to make sense of and combing the books for foreshadowing about the most? D&D may not have heard, but leaving your audience furiously scratching their heads is only dramatically satisfying if you have head lice. And the nominees are... Number one, King Bran the First, the Broken. Number two, Tyrion, the Hand. Number three, Sansa, Queen in the North. Number four, Sam, the Grand Maester. Number five, Arya, the Explorer. Number six, Brienne, Lady Commander of the Kingsguard. Number seven, Pod, the Kingsguard. Number eight, Davos, Master of Ships. Number nine, Bronn, Master of Coin and Lord of Highgarden. Number ten, Grey Worm, Arbiter of Justice. And number eleven, Gendry, Lord of Storm's End. And the winner is... Bronn, Master of Coin and Lord of Highgarden. Gee, he really did deserve that. I think I think this is the right answer. Uh, Bron, Master Coin. Yeah, right, right answer. Right, this got thirty five point six percent of the yeah. vote. Just like it's like like I like when he like strolled into that council room, I just kind of couldn't believe it for a minute. I was just like, just so kill him. Just there were three big winners. He won by a lot. Yeah. Bron won by a lot. The runner up with nineteen percent was King Bran, mm-hmm. and after that, with sixteen percent was Sansa. I'm I'm suspecting a lot of earnest that was earnest, there. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure because yeah. like if that's probably the only one that was actually hurt. Yeah, and then the rest just didn't do well, which includes Sam, the Grand Maester, oh, with his one link. Um, <laughs> you, I want to know, you know what link that was. That was for Kieran Grayscale. Yeah, he got a silver link for Kieran Grayscale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 
Grey Worm Arbiter of Justice did horribly. I thought that was really funny. Um, but like the thing about Bronn being made master of coin specifically is that he specifically said in one episode that he didn't understand the concept of debt and like why anyone would pay their debts. Yeah, and Tyrion tried to explain it to him and it was like really funny. <laughs> maybe also, he is, got maybe this part of his character arc, like he's grown and learned. No, because he got this by threatening Tyrion and uh, Jamie and and like regressing. Wait, why really? don't they just kill this asshole? Wait, wait. I just realized he got, he didn't get a master of coin position for threatening them. He got Lord of Highgarden for threatening them. So when was the decision to make him master of coin made? I have no idea. Didn't I know. guess Tyrion thought he would just do a great job at it. Also, do do they have any idea how bad it is that he's master of Highgarden when like they need a unanimous council vote to elect the monarch? And he has all the fucking food now? So he's just gonna be like, I'm gonna hold my food until you back my brawn candidate. Why would Yeah, why why would he be master of coin and not like leader of the City Watch or something? What well, didn't he run the City Watch at one point in the show? Yeah. I don't think yeah, that he would did really be, well. I don't think that'd be a highfalutin enough job for him, even though like the king's brother had that job at one point, but whatever. Because it's funnier to put him on the council, and then we could make yeah. a grammar Stannis joke again. <laughs> Wink. Oh, that was a callback. Damn it. Egregious oversight. <laughs> the amazing seventh season of Game of Thrones taught us all the value of plausible impossibilities and the need to make as little sense as you think you can get away with, a lesson the eighth season took well to heart. The nominees for the best of these plausible impossibilities are... The entire ceiling of the Red Keep dungeon collapsing on Jamie and Cersei, only to see a small pile of bricks covering them in the next episode. Euron and the Iron Fleet perfectly sniping Rhaegal with three scorpion shots, only to miss the next 500 aimed at Drogon over the next two episodes. The Unsullied and Dothraki not killing Jon for killing Danny after an episode of them slaughtering anyone who looked at her the wrong way. Bran sitting outside in the courtyard of Winterfell during winter for multiple days and nights and not freezing to death. And finally, the floor map surviving the fall of King's Landing. And the winner is Euron and the Iron Fleet perfectly sniping Rhaegal with three scorpion shots only to miss the next 500 aimed at Drogon. It's kind of like in Star Wars, where Obi-Wan is just like, oh, these are obviously stormtroopers because these shots are so precise, and then the stormtroopers don't hit a single thing <laughs> ever in, like, all the rest of the movies. Yeah, and I mean, this wasn't close. And I, I don't know that it's necessarily the right answer, because definitely the Unsullied and Dothraki not doing anything to Jon mm-hmm. is a bit implausible, but to hit that dragon... Three times like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. That, that's fair. I think I voted for the Red Keep um, dungeon collapsing. I know you did, because it was it was tacitly floor map. <laughs> I was like, yes, it was tacitly floor map. I mean, floor map is also on this list, but I didn't think floor map was going to do very well, so. It got 8% surviving the fall of Yeah, it has landing. a number on that pie grab. Look at it. It's okay. So yeah, it came second to last. The last was Bran sitting outside in the courtyard and not freezing to death. I just like the bricks, like, and then the fact that Tyrion goes down and, like, everywhere else in the dungeon is fine, except for that spot. (laughs) Best Actor Commentary As we get closer and closer to the end, the actors and their unforgettable reactions and statements about the show's epic conclusions 
stepped further and further into the spotlight. And with no future employment contracts and paychecks on the line, the only things that were left to limit them in voicing their opinions were NDAs and their individual professionalism. It is due to these fortunate circumstances that I can now present you with your nominees for Best Actor Commentary. Conneth Hill, throwing a script at the table read. Best season ever! Emilia Clark. Emilia Clark fake vomiting. Disappointing or epic. One of those. Kit Harrington describing the ending. Maisie Williams' boyfriend criticizing her killing the Night's King. Jacob Anderson, actor of Grey Worm, and Joe Dempsey, actor of Gendry, joking about there being no character development. And the winner is... Best season ever! My favorite, uh, the one that I voted for, came in third place, and that's disappointing or epic, one of those. I mean, the reason that I love this is, like, the gift set that you see of it on Tumblr, and just, like, the interviewer reacting to it, where he said disappointing. She was like, disappointing? And she, like, looked at the camera, like, is this a You love that interviewer. And he was just like, oh, I mean, epic. (laughs) No, I I voted best season ever. I voted the winner. I mean, Amelia Clark just looked so miserable, and... You could tell there were thoughts. Um, Cuddleth Hill throwing his script came in second. Very that's well the one I voted for. Yeah, and then then he walked everything back at Comic Con, which like he um, has he to has if to actors course, yeah. actors have to be hype machines to what they star in. Like this, this that's is literally industry. their job. This is their job. Yeah. yeah. But I, I thought best season ever was about as candid as you can be. Yeah. The fake vomiting was pretty candid too, but it was just so funny. Uh, and then I made a gift set of of both of those moments with disappointing uh, or epic I, I mean I don't know when it is <laughs> we all know that the makers of Game of Thrones are some of the most hashtag stunning and brave creators the world has to offer they aren't afraid to make the big statements even if it means offending the liberal snowflake PC crowd the nominees for the horrific implications award are all the Dothraki dying immediately or so it seemed Missandei dying in chains and Cersei commenting on those chains. The northern children specifically reacting negatively to Missandei and Grey Worm. Here's a hint, it's cause they were black. The Starks being xenophobic to deem Danny. All the brown people are into the fascist imagery speech. Danny's emotional reactions disqualify her for leadership. And the winner is, all the brown people are into the fascist imagery speech. Yeah, uh, 39.1%. And, like, to be clear, we're not saying that... (laughs) I don't know how to put this. D&D did not exactly establish inverse racism very well. Mm -hmm. So, like, the Northern Children being super negative towards Masande and Grey Worm, that was D&D's heavy-handed attempt based on modern-day wars to, like, bring that in. So, for this, it's, it's the... It's our inverse horrific implication. Look, it's Danny and this army of foreign invaders who are all brown and they're all fascists. Mm-hmm. I Yay. mean, like, yeah, these guys do not have the best track record. It's just, like, it's especially considering that they took, like, the most racialized culture in Westeros and played it straight. 
yeah. like, the racist stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Oh, with Dorn? Yeah, and like the whole thing with like the uh, the wildlings, they kind of they kind of got that they were like racialized a little bit, but not so much. No, they <laughs> I didn't. Don't know. I mean, these are these are the guys that ended a season on a sea of brown mm-hmm. people holding up literally literally the whitest woman that could exist. <laughs> and calling her mother. So I, you know, I'm going to say their understanding of race, not great. Yeah, and then uh, coming as a runner-up, wasn't very close, but with with 21.6% was Danny's emotional reactions disqualifying her from leadership. I still have to write my sexism in season 8 piece that isn't somehow just gesturing to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think I voted for Masande dying in chains and Cersei being like, ha ha, you came from chains and I'm putting you back in chains because once again, D&D conflate prisoners with slavery <laughs> these things are different yeah and like thank god that there was just an interview like the other day that confederate the show they want to do with hbo is is dead it is completely dead the hbo exec was like yeah we're, we're not touching good. that good so good that's see they guys audience reaction is important and engaging in media is important because you can affect uh what kind of bullshit they yeah have. Yeah, so keep complaining about how they're going to do Star Wars now. Yeah. And they they literally, like, look at these options. They have no idea what they're doing with race. Mm-hmm. They should not be touching this. And they do not seem to bring in people who might be able to speak to this or anything that is beyond right. their experience. or even acknowledge that there's an issue. I mean, look, it's like we all have different things we don't understand. It's not possible to innately understand everything. But the point is you try to learn about it and do better. Their entire writer's room is white male dudes. And it's been that way since they were getting screamed at for the sexism. Right. Finest flip off to book readers. One thing this beautiful piece of art has shown us is that an adaptation can completely disregard, disrespect, and contradict its source material and be better off for it. Unfortunately, there are those who refuse to accept this fact. Those pesky book readers who wrongly expect an adaptation to be faithful to his source material. Can you imagine? Because of their constant complaining, our talented showrunners and their fans have weaponized a now iconic phrase. The books are the books and the show is the show. Which of our nominees reminded those annoying book readers of that fact the most? And the nominees are The Golden Company Can't Wait to Fight for the Lannisters Jamie Ditching Brienne to Die with Cersei Jon Snow Alias Aegon Targaryen the Sixth Danny referring to the upcoming battle with the Army of the Dead as Jon's War Tyrion telling Jamie that whoremongering is no longer an option for him. Danny being triggered by bells when that's John Con's trauma. Sansa impersonating Cersei during Blackwater in The Long Night. Jamie saying that he never cared about the innocence of King's Landing. The Valencar being a bunch of bricks. Bran being titled The Broken. The Maester calling his book The Song of Ice and Fire. Tyrion and Jaime parting on the best of terms. Tyrion caring about the people of King's Landing. Think of the last 20 years. The war, the murder, the misery, 
All because Robert Baratheon loved someone who didn't love him back. Tyrion Tavares. And the winner is... Jamie saying that he never cared about the innocence of King's Landing. Yeah, I'm glad this one got another award because it was just that egregious. Correct answer. I, I didn't... It, it's a good answer. I actually think the right answer was the maester calling his book a, si- a song of ice and fire. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I... Um, I think I voted for... Uh, the Golden Company can't wait to fight for the Lannisters, which came in like pretty close to last. <laughs> but it was just like, oh god, like why is the Golden Company even here? Why do they do this to us? Yeah. Well, when you look at the um, let's see, twenty one point nine percent was Jamie saying he never cared about the innocents. Sixteen point one percent was Jamie ditching Brienne to die with Cersei, and twelve point three percent was the Valonqar being a bunch of bricks. So if you combine that together, people were really invested in Jamie's character arc. And- well, yeah, I mean, Jamie's nope. like. I think the reason that this one keeps winning things, and rightfully so, is that his killing of King Ares is one of the things that gets this whole story rolling, really. And is the mm-hmm. reason the Baratheons yeah. are in power, and et cetera, et cetera. The only reason there's all these issues about who is on the Iron Throne is because of his action. And that is I mean, central. I don't think they would have lost the war if he didn't do that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I think that... people in King's Landing. I think that it's so it's so important to his... You know, it's his formative experience. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's why it's like Fularia level character assassination. Right. Like you have the most important thing about him. <laughs> They're just like, okay. Oh my god! Wait a second. Time. I just, I just realized because I was going to make a joke. I was like, you know, a song of ice and fire. Other, oh, a funny title for the wars following the death of King Robert Baratheon. Mm-hmm. But, but I realize now. Last year, when they wrote that line for Maester Slughorn to say, I'm writing a thesis, it's called The Wars Following the Death of Robert Baratheon, they thought that they were describing A Song of Ice and Fire. Like, they already knew they were going to name oh it Oh my this. god. We yeah, like, we, we, like, I thought they were making a reference to The War of the Five Kings. No! They were already planning on naming it A Song of Ice and Fire. That's literally what they think the books are about. Oh my god. It's so meta. That's super meta. Game of Thrones, a series often praised for its deep lore and world building for some reason, rather than, you know, the books, has certainly raised many questions in the minds of viewers. Naturally, none of these were answered and likely were never considered by the writers for more than two milliseconds, if at all. Sucks to be us, I guess? If you thought paying attention would have a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. The most vexing unanswered questions we were left with at the end of the series are... What does this Night's Watch do now? Why did Bran's skin change in the battle? Where did the Dothraki go? Who is the new Dornish prince? What is the political situation in Slaver's Bay? Why did the White Walkers leave those swirly patterns everywhere? And the winner is... What does this Night's Watch do now? Yeah, I think that might be the right answer. Yeah. This, I mean, this was definitely my answer. We all know what I voted for. Uh, actually came in second place. Who is this new Dornish prince? But, you know. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's, I'm a consistently written character. It's Quentin. What do you want? Oh, no. It's random. Random Martell. It's, it's Ariane. <laughs> uh, the, the third place winner. No, I'm sorry. The fourth place winner was another intriguing one. Why did Brand's skin change during the battle? Like, he just wanted a view? Right. Yeah, that, like, came to nothing. 
The creatively, it made sense because we wanted it to happen award. I could also call it the most likely not in the books, but you won't be able to convince most of the fandom of that until T-Wow and ADOS comes out, and even then they'll probably argue George changed it because people didn't like it on the show, and even if it is in the books, the context will be totally different award. Or more briefly, the WTF, no really, what the actual fuck award. The nominees are... Number one, the Dothraki being prepared to charge into the undead army that can't die from iron with nothing but iron. Number two, Melisandre randomly showing up moments before the Battle of Winterfell. Number three, John riding Rhaegal. Number four, Bronn successfully getting Highgarden. Number five, Arya killing the Night's King. Number six, Jaime getting captured so he could have a conversation with Tyrion. Number seven, Euron being OP until he wasn't. Number eight, Danny giving a fascist speech with super subtle imagery. Number nine, Arya going down to King's Landing. And the winner is Arya killing the Night's King. So for anyone who doesn't know before we react to the winner, uh, the creatively it made sense because we wanted it to have an award started with season five and it was a quote provide to us by, I believe, David Benioff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I have a 50-50 chance of being right about that. <laughs> but they're being interviewed about why they possibly had Tyrion and Danny meet early mm-hmm. relative to the books. Because, you know, I guess at that point, people were like, oh, they're still following the books. And they said it felt right. They were really frustrated reading A Dance of Dragons. It didn't happen. And then the line just came, you know, it's hard to say. Creatively, it made sense because we wanted, we it, wanted to it to happen. Beautiful. Ah. Uh, uh, so the winner very easily with about 30% of the vote was Arya killing the Night's King. Yeah. I mean, ending the apocalypse. Just like, of course, because like. That is, you know. it's so, it so is creatively made sense because we wanted it to happen. Yeah. You know? It kind of makes, it kind of makes me surprised that they actually went with R plus L equals J, not one of the like wacky fan theories that says R plus L equals J is too obvious. Hmm. Yeah, actually. That's a good point. But it really wasn't obvious on their show because they didn't do any groundwork. So (laughs) for for that nature, they didn't have, you know, um, what's in the tower. They didn't they didn't have that moment in Ned's fever dream. They didn't have it until like right before R plus L equals J was told to us. Mm. So what what one creatively it made sense last year? Do you remember? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of surprised they didn't do like a thing like in um, Fantastic Beasts with the like double baby switch. <laughs> I wouldn't put that past them at all. <laughs> the double baby, the double baby switch. <laughs> did well, you, yeah, like did but you see Fantastic? They didn't Beasts? even, t- but they didn't even talk about. No, I, I watched the Jenny Nicholson video, which is good enough. <laughs> but they didn't even talk about Rhaegar. Like I just don't think so. So the creatively, it made sense because we wanted it to have an award last year. Was uh. Arya, Bran, and Sansa punking Littlefinger and the audience. <laughs> Which is pretty yeah, good. Like that is. That definitely is. Yeah. Um, I forget what one in season five also. It wasn't it wasn't Tyrion and Danny meeting early. It was something far dumber. <laughs> well, so do you want to explain what how the Carol of Carols now, or do do you want to wait on that? Well, we will have a Carol of Carols or a Carol of the Bells. We don't, um, <laughs> 
kidding. Uh, we're we're, we're going to go back, and it's not just going to be the Carol Award winners of past, because we only did seasons five through eight, but it's going to be the Carol of the entire show. Uh, and we're going to just have to really limit the nomination battles. Uh, battles. The nominations that are listed. We're probably going to have to have a lot of internal mm-hmm. voting first on who the nominations even should be, because there's just so much yeah. to come through. Uh, creatively, it made sense because we wanted it to happen. Like, Arya killing the Night's King, even understanding the whole series, it's a little hard for me to think of what's going to beat it right now. Yeah. Uh, in the Carol of Carols. Bronn successfully getting Highgarden, like, yeah, of course that's what they wanted to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason. Yeah, it just, it's the plot line of the series, and they just... I don't know. I have to think about it to think. Well, I mean, I imagine like Sansa being in Winterfell, for example, for that plot is a creatively made sense because we want it to happen kind of thing. Oh yeah. But like, but yeah, this Arya killing the Night's King is like it's the pinnacle of one of the whole one of the main stories. Yeah, I mean that might have won honestly. Sansa going into Winterfell, I think, won for season five. Now that I think about it, the Golden Carol in season six for creatively it made sense was John being king. Despite like, oh, yeah. having marched everyone into a trap and being a fucking idiot. Oh, so. those are all good. All very good. Yeah, everything's so good. But uh, John writing Rhaegal. Oh my god, that only got two point four percent of the vote. <laughs> I thought that was going to give everything a run. For I thought money. so too. What was? He wrote a dragon. <laughs> oh man, I'm surprised that Arya going down to King's Landing didn't get more. That was oh, very like why. <laughs> So we, I think we was on our list and then we cut it because we we're like, we should only have one Arya thing. But yeah, I mean, why was she there at all? Because they wanted a perspective to the tragedy porn and they didn't think John would be a good t- window. I guess anyway. the, the primary question there is why did they want a perspective to the tragedy porn as opposed to going with our main characters and watching them do things? Anyway, guys, this was it. That was our last official category, Ooh. but there is one more golden carol on the table. Yes. Yeah. And that is... That's the shame bells. (laughs) Get the shame bells. Play the shame bells, editor. The shame bells, the surrender bells, any bells you might have. Uh, This is the Carol Award for the most egregious nomination oversight. And I'll give you our top five, but there's other shout outs that we want to do for these. So So can you you explain what, or or are we going to have somebody else explain what this is? I mean, yeah, this is basically what it says on the tin. Um, every Every time we publish this ballot... And the voting starts. Mm. We're always like hitting ourselves on the forehead because we missed something obvious. And-, and and how it started was that like I did this all via Tumblr and, mm. and message boards the first year. And I just got a bunch of asks that were like, what about this one? What about this one? I'm like, damn it. So then when we switched over to Google poll voting, we made a write-in mm-hmm. for everyone. So we said you could either do... Originally it was just do a nomination, but then people started writing in categories and we thought they were really funny. So you could write in, people would write in things like script and <laughs> D&D uh, and Gwendolyn Christie. <laughs> um, and then best writing category. Come on, guys. It's like what we had two writing <laughs> awards. So I don't understand. I, I, I don't know. Uh, some just said Tyrion hits the woe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ghost getting ghosted. I am actually sad that Ghost, we didn't work him into anything. (laughs) But I'll give you our top five that we picked. So basically, we get all of these in an Excel spreadsheet. And then I just look through and 
we're, we're not going to to really be able to like read every single one of these there's like hundreds of write-ins like to the letter mm-hmm. so a lot of this is kind of going with our gut and and if you had a really good nomination and you think that you should have been the top five i'm, I'm very sorry this is an imperfect system um find a season find a seating award i'm just looking right now Tyrion mentioning the bells 32 times in episode five that's, that's not on our list but reading over that i'm like damn that's good <laughs> But our list is, one, we should have had a category for the most spoilery episode title. Because <laughs> um, they certainly hid it from us the whole time. Can you imagine if we knew episode one was called Winterfell? Uh, number two, Robin Aaron should have been in the best dressed category, not just for his glow up, but because he had the uh, boob cutouts of his tunic, <laughs> a la his mother, for breastfeeding. <laughs> um, three, Brand just being in the courtyard for the Why Can't I Stop Laughing Award. <laughs> I thought that was on that award, wasn't it? There's what? Isn't that there? No. No, huh. no it's nope. not. Uh, uh, four is the most meta line, who is the Lord of Storm's end now anyway? <laughs> Which I think we might have actually chopped it, but I'm very sorry. And then the fifth one is uh, in the most Emmy-worthy line of... A category we really should have had both the first and last lines of the season in there the first line being like i don't have to freeze my balls off or whatever because i have balls and you're a mm-hmm. eunuch this between Tyrion and varus and then the last line the last line of dialogue spoken on the show was i once took a honeycomb and a jackass into a brothel <laughs> and like yeah just just the fact that it opened and closed this season should have been there yeah. um uh, well, my vote is for Robin Aaron Same. and his maternity bra. <laughs> Same. I think someone wrote in. Someone wrote in a horrific implications ballot um, that there is actually zero difference between Jews and slavers. Did they imply that somewhere? Do mm. I need to go back and rewatch this? I would say not. I don't think so, but I haven't thought about it that hard. I guess maybe because they were uh, like. Saying that Danny is Hitler esque evil for burning slavers, like oh oh oh, I oh, see. oh okay. yeah that's you know what that's what it is yeah. yeah because it's like she they were bad men so she's so evil yeah and they they asked for it I got but yeah that was just um I think that was a little more extended of a yeah of a met- metaphor yeah than we we're gonna go with but yeah so no I mean I, I do really want to um give a shout out like a lot of people had good ideas there is there's a uh, suggestions for a best fulfillment of a prophecy with like the floor map and rubble being the valencar mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. aria's azora high and stuff like that and there's a uh, you know ned just being a fucking idiot even more because like he's dead wrong about everything including the wolf pack needs to stay together <laughs> and all of that and there always must be a stark and winterfell when they all go to the uh the council together so really really good write-ins these top five just kind of floated for yeah. us. So, well, so what's, yeah. the, what's the winner? I also think that uh, I, I would also well, come if we both Robin vote for them, Caroline, it wins. Well, <laughs> which one did you guys vote Robin for? Robin Aaron and his glow up. As best dressed. Oh, yeah, that was going to be my vote. Oh, okay, yeah, I love Robin. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> I mean, how did we miss that? He had the boob armor. <laughs> like, come on now. It was fantastic. Wait, someone said he, he yeah, never no, no. long-bottomed, right? Yo, he definitely yeah. never long-bottomed. 
Yeah. Uh, so no, thank you everyone for participating in this Carol Awards and voting and writing in best Carols ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll be a little bit honest. Like with critics being against the show now, or to some extent, I understand they still got Emmys, but viewers like it's not an unpopular stance anymore, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's very very popular. Uh, I was kind of demoralized after the season it's not like i was sad that other people didn't like it i just didn't feel very compelled to be working on anything related to game of thrones or to be thinking about this again uh and i think the carol awards really saved me (laughs) from that apathy honestly uh i just just thinking through it and thinking through the jokes that we've had for like the past few years and we've built a really weird corner of the internet here but it's been so much fun our weird corner of the internet damn it it's our weird corner. She's our dickhead. <laughs> guys, go watch Dairy Girls. Go watch Dairy Girls. <laughs> can, uh, can I tell you guys something interesting about sort of like the fandom? Um, yeah. Uh, so I went this past weekend to Otakon, the convention down in DC. It's like an anime video game convention. And every year, the past couple of years, uh, people have cosplayed Game of Thrones characters. And there's always been a huge, huge Game of Thrones presence. Where, where like you're walking down the hall and you like trip over like 12 Daenerys's, right? Like everybody's dressed up as something from Game of Thrones. So I went this year, dressed as a weirwood tree, expecting to find other Game of Thrones cosplayers, and I found two. This is what were oh they dressed God. as? The uh, Sansa in her coronation dress. Um, okay, I took a picture nice. with her. It's a very nice. I'm also, surprised they had time to make that. I know she like she was telling me how she um, did some of the embroidery on the plane, so like that. And I ran to a guy dressed as an unsullied, and that was it. This is a con. This is like wow. a thirty thousand person con, and that was it. So what was the like? predominant fandom if there was one was it super spider-man there's a lot of spider-man um there's a lot of those games i don't really totally know but sort of recognize like overwatch um yep there's this miraculous ladybug thing happening now that all the kids are into it's like a french show oh yeah 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 that's been around for a couple years now but um yeah that doesn't yeah there's there was quite a, a number of those there wasn't actually that much repetition in terms of the cosplays but it was just like i couldn't even so in past years i had organized the game of thrones photo shoot because i just kind of went and decided what like the day and time we're going to do it and then people would show up and uh i couldn't even do it because i only found two and I, you totally could have like you know had Aww. a picture with sansa i would have loved i that. had a picture with her um, okay, good. Just the lonely and, and, uh, I didn't get a picture with the Unsullied guy because he was the first one I met. And I'm like, oh, cool. Because the way we do it is just like by word of mouth. I'm basically like, come to this location at 12 tomorrow, tell all the Game of Thrones cosplayers you see. And usually you can drum up like 15, 20 people that way. And, and then you sure. take pictures and then everybody goes about their lives. But there was nobody there. There wasn't even a Daenerys. Oh, there wasn't wow. a Daenerys. I heard that there was a Daenerys, but I did not see a Daenerys. Daenerys cosplayers are like fungus. We like multiply. There's always at least a dozen around. And there were none. And I was just sh- shocked at, I like, the fan response and the fact that nobody mm-hmm. was interested. And Everybody it, dropped the show like a hot potato. Yeah. Maybe they dropped, like, you know, Al they Franken or something. I mean, yeah. And there was very little, so, like, merch and very little, like, art. Like, I was at least expecting to see art of um, that shot where the oh. dragons go up into the clouds in episode three. Yeah. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, somebody's going to, like, paint that. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to see it. Nothing. Nothing. Well, there was was not a lacking Carol Awards presence. Like, despite probably no one wanting to read about Game of Thrones anymore, we had a good good number of uh, Mm -hmm. responses. There's dozens of us. Dozens. (laughs) 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's motivated me. I think next on deck, I need to consider the season eight piece for sexism. Mm-hmm. And that might actually come after rewatching some of it. Julia and I also really need to talk through the retrospectives and figure out how we're dividing Yeah, it we're, uh, we've been putting that off for a while. I, th- I think we should do that before the Carol of Carols. So mm-hmm. we don't have an ETA on that either. And then uh, Book Snob Glossary updates will come following season eight retrospectives because we, we will don't... say the retrospectives will be very different from the last couple of years they, they have they to have be to just be. Structurally. yeah because the, ge- the geography work. split doesn't work anymore do the dead need to be a plot line i don't know we'll talk about it it's it's these are complicated matters <laughs> oh wait why did i do john that was a that was a jamie line these are complicated matters <laughs> but you don't know me oh for madison for uh, madison that's that's some season five finery right there yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming to our illustrious event. We hope you enjoyed being in the audience or whatever we're still pretending is going on with this Carol Awards. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back in your feeds with something Thrones related or something book related. I don't know. One of those two. <laughs> awesome. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy. Got bananas and nectarine and blueberries. Yeah, I'd argue you don't Ooh, have to finish it, but I respect that you are. That sounds really good. Oh my god, guys, floor mouth came so <laughs> Okay. Uh, next category is best prop. Wait, right, one more spoonful. Oh my god. <laughs> Julia, <laughs> you had one job to do, and that was stop eating before you record. Okay, two more spoonfuls. How is there still fruit salad left? <laughs> you have a lot of fruit salad left. How big of a bowl did you portion before sitting down? <laughs> Quite a big one. And I have a really fill you. I have literally two spoonfuls left. Okay, put them both in your mouth right now. Oh my god. Are you sure I guess there's gonna be me splicing together yelling at you about fruit salad? <laughs> And then the Wiggles song, Fruit Salad, will play in the background. (laughs) Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Fruit salad, yummy, yummy.